a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The skies set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where our shows are archived for your binge listening pleasure. I'm joined by Chris Ryan, that's his name, here uh, <laughs> in this new year. It's 2019, and we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, and other forms of memory impairment. Impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, here we are. Happy New Year, everybody. It's the first off the record of the new year, and things are heating up already. Down in D.C., we've seen the happy pictures of jubilant Democrats as a new, more diverse, and younger Congress takes shape. The 116th Congress of the United States has Republicans on the outs in the House, Democrats on the ins. I watched many of my friends and former colleagues uh, taking the oath of office. I remember it well myself when I went down for the first time. There are pictures of our New Hampshire representatives, Annie McLean Custer and Chris Pappas, in their offices greeting folks from New Hampshire. That's Really fun and a big deal. Nancy Pelosi sworn in for the second time as Speaker of the House, ready to do battle with the President, Donald Trump. And uh, some of the Democrats are already saying really interesting things about Donald Trump, some of which are unrepeatable and unprintable. Uh, apparently, Democrats don't like Donald Trump, and I can't imagine why. And presidential politics are heating up. Since we were last with you, Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, has clearly indicated that she's on her way to declaring for president. She's forming an exploratory committee, which, as everyone knows, is nothing more than a stepping stone to an actual uh, announcement. She's going to run for the United States president. And, you know, we have a little brouhaha brewing right here in New Hampshire, a kerfuffle involving yours truly. Yeah. That's right. A kerfuffle in New a presidential kerfuffle. So here's so here's what's happening. I'm a supporter of the League of Conservation Voters. I believe in their fight to uh, try to save our planet and and battle climate change and their battle for clean energy. And I was asked if I might host my friend and former colleague, Jay Inslee, now governor of the great state of Washington, uh, to come to New Hampshire and host an event for the LCV. And I said, sure, happy to. And we set a date. And I mindlessly, perhaps, but without any real consequences, saw that there was an article in the Atlantic magazine 
touting that Jay Inslee might be running for president, that he was thinking of running for president, talking about him and his record of accomplishments in Washington. So I put it up on Facebook on my personal page, and I said, we're having Governor Inslee to the House. I know Jay. I served with him in Congress and served with him on the Energy Caucus. Well, apparently, uh, this was a little bit in advance of the formal invitations going out, and apparently my... Facebook post caused a kerfuffle. It it caused a kerfuffle with Democratic, New Hampshire Democratic Party chair, Ray Buckley. And Ray Buckley apparently has said things to the press uh, that he um, would like to hear from Jay Inslee, why the Democratic Governors Association, of which Jay Inslee was the president in the last uh, go-round in the 2018 midterms, why they abandoned New Hampshire. In other words, Ray Buckley was upset because apparently the DGA did not contribute sufficiently, or if at all, to the campaign of Molly Kelly for governor. Now, without going into more of the backstory on that and what actually happened, we have a presidential primary kerfuffle, because while on the surface, Chairman Buckley's statement could be seen as merely an expression of interest. I'm interested to see what Jay Inslee will say about it really, by using the word abandoned New Hampshire, really is more than that. It's it's a clear indication of displeasure with a particular potential candidate for president. And it raises some significant issues because the New Hampshire Democratic Party and its chair must stay neutral in the presidential primary. We saw in the 2016 race the huge brouhaha between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton about those in positions of power who should have remained neutral, who didn't remain neutral. There was a big dust up about the National Democratic Party and who they favored and how, how, how things worked. And in New Hampshire, I know that, that for years and years, uh, the party and its chair have worked to stay neutral uh, because that's the way it needs to be. We need to give everybody an even chance. There needs to be an even playing field in the presidential primary. And Lord knows, with 20 or so candidates about to start making the trek north uh, to New Hampshire, we are going to have a very vibrant Democratic primary with names known and unknown. And if we're going to uh, choose the right candidate, if Democrats are going to choose the right candidate, the best candidate for president, uh, we need to have a an even playing field. So, so it's um, a little bit uh, disconcerting that uh, the chairman would, whatever the reasons, whatever the so whatever the foundation for his feelings, uh, would choose to vent them in the press in this way. It's wrong. Um, it, it's wrong. You mean uh, all those, everything I said in the last five minutes could be summed up by simply saying it's wrong. It's wrong. The chairman of the, the Democratic Party here in New Hampshire can be upset about the fact that um, Jay Inslee in his role as uh, the chair of the Democratic Governors Association allocated no funding to Molly Kelly's campaign. And he can couch that within an article. 
Um, he can, if he is asked, as opposed to seeking to comment, as he did uh, to, to Paul Steinhauser um, and John DeStazer, from what Steinhauser told me, he sought them out to make these comments. And he used the terminology, abandon New Hampshire. That, to me, is a signal to Democratic voters that they should abandon Jay Inslee. Um, he abandoned New Hampshire. He didn't abandon Molly Kelly. He didn't. He abandoned New Hampshire. That is very strong terminology. That is saying, Jay Inslee, you are not welcome here in New Hampshire. You abandoned us. Um, and telling that to Democratic voters. And it is one thing to say, you know, I wish that he perhaps could have allocated some money to, um, to Molly Kelly's campaign. It would have been helpful. And say, but he's a great governor. He fights for Democratic values. He's um, bringing the issue of climate change to the forefront. I feel it's important, but I wish that perhaps he could have given some money. He said that Jay Inslee abandoned New Hampshire. That is a very, very strong terminology. And we have just gotten through criticizing um, incoming Republican leadership for trying to use their power as a party to move a primary uh, in the direction of Donald Trump and away from anybody who would challenge him. This, to me, is using his power as party chairman to um, make a clear statement, not saying that he's doing it on his own or this is how he feels personally, but is doing so, it would appear, uh, in his official capacity to say to a presidential candidate, you are not welcome here because of a spat over funding for a campaign. Not anything that had to do with um, you know who he is as a as a person or a policy thing, but it is a a backroom type of conversation as to why he did not give money to Molly Kelly here in New Hampshire. He made a decision uh, to allocate funding to other places as he has a right to do as a, as a chairman of the DGA. But wait, let me let me and let me just say one other thing, and not to get too deep into the weeds, but. My recollection when I ran for the United States Senate was that whenever money uh, is allocated from whether it's the Democratic Governors Association or the Senate Campaign Committee or the Congressional Campaign Committee, whenever that money is allocated, it is not up to a single person. Right. It's a group decision. It's a group decision. There That's is a, a process a within the committees for allocating funds and decisions are made. Um, there is uh, essentially often a board type decision, a board of directors or a, 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 a chair, a, a committee within these committees right. that make the decisions about allocating funds. Well, so, let me be clear to you. I have, I have no idea who Jay Inslee is. I've talked to him on the phone once. We did an interview, but I have no, you know, yeah, well, horse in I'm, this game. You, you like him. You've served yeah, with him. Listen, I have no but it's flat out wrong right. what Ray Buckley is doing. So all I'm saying is it's doubly wrong because to the extent that it puts the onus on uh, Governor Inslee as an individual, it's it, it assumes something which may which, which I I know not to be true that there's a committee decision that's made about allocating funds, um, and I think that uh, as you say, it's really unfortunate in this case that. Um, uh, Chairman Buckley uh, went so far as to use the kind of language he used. Because I can tell you, 
I, I served with Jay Inslee. I worked with Jay Inslee. I was a member of the Energy Caucus with him working on clean energy legislation. That was 10 years ago. He has been a national leader as governor of Washington in moving clean energy and moving the issue of clean energy to the fore. Uh, folks may remember that at a White House meeting that was televised of the governors, only Jay Inslee stood up to counter Donald Trump, to ask him a tough question, follow up, and, and, and take him on uh, on the issue of climate change, which for Jay is, a, is, a prior, is the priority issue. But the issue here is that most Democrats and most Granite Staters have no idea who Jay Inslee is. And the first thing that they're going to hear about him coming to New Hampshire is what Ray Buckley had to say. And that is the problem, that he is being defined um, already by an individual who abandoned New Hampshire. And people don't know what that means. They don't know what the what it means in, in the weeds. And you, I thought you described it well there, that it's he has he is the leader. But um, when, you know, allocation of funding takes place from nonprofit organizations, whether it's a political organization or not, it is a group decision. And it is not just the decision of the, the individual. And um, I don't understand why why Ray did this, particularly in the um, the context of what's taking place and has taken place in the Republican Party previous, about them trying to change the rules within their party infrastructure to support an individual candidate. And here he is after... Um, you know, years of pushing back on Bernie Sanders folks saying that he was he wanted Hillary Clinton to win and trying to to ease that, creating a uh, kerfuffle, as you pushed forth, here in regards to Jay Inslee. People don't they even know who he is, but now they do because Ray Buckley has said that he abandoned New Hampshire. Well, look, it's early in the primary season. Uh, Jay Inslee, if he if he decides to run for the presidency, will be one of a number of candidates. Uh, they're starting to come to New Hampshire. I expect to see Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Julian Castro, uh, perhaps uh, Mayor Bloomberg from New York, perhaps Joe Biden, um, um, among um, among a few. Uh, ben, Beto O'Rourke is still figuring out what he's going to do. So uh, I've heard the name Amy Klobuchar. I know I know Amy well. There are going to be numbers of candidates coming. Some well known, some not. New Hampshire is that place where even unknown candidates have a shot because they get to come to living rooms, they get to talk to people. Uh, you know, my my my. When I always explained the New Hampshire primary season to people, I'd say, well, it's like this. I talked to a guy the other day. I asked him if he was voting for XYZ. He said, well, I don't know. I only met him three times, and he ain't been over to the kitchen to have supper. So, you know, it's that kind of thing still in <laughs> New Hampshire. You can run a tarmac campaign, but there aren't a lot of tarmacs to come to. Right. This is a living room state. Uh, there's a small number of influential people in the press, and Jay Inslee, probably will have as good a chance as almost anybody else coming to New Hampshire, making himself known, meeting people. And I can just tell you that whether or not uh, the DGA did or didn't support Molly Kelly, and for whatever reasons uh, they didn't, 
Uh, Jay Inslee is a person of integrity. He's a person of principle. He's really smart. He's got a wonderful legislative record in Washington. And if he decides to run for the president of the United States, he's uh, been a governor with leadership experience. And he's somebody that people should take very, very seriously. So I'm hoping that this kerfuffle will pass uh, and we will get on with the business of choosing the next president of the United States of America. This is Paul Hodes on Off the Record on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Now, don't go away, folks. We'll be back to talk to our guy in Washington, on the scene, Jason Rosenstock, about what's going on down in D.C. We'll talk shutdown, we'll talk money, we'll have a good time. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, and call 224-9111. Well, Happy New Year, everybody, and... We're really pleased to bring on our guy in Washington, our man on the scene, Jason Rosenstock of Thorn Run Partners, an expert in all things legislative, congressional, and especially financial. Jason, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Paul. Great to be back. So I understand that you spent a very, very busy time on swearing-in day visiting all kinds of people. Tell us, tell us about it. What was it like with a, uh, with a whole new crop of Democrats taking control? Because I remember in 2006, when I was elected as a member of Congress, there was general jubilation and hilarity uh, because the Democrats, when I came in, hadn't uh, had the majority since 1994. And now it's been, uh, you know, it was uh, 12 years, uh, wander- 10 years wandering in the wilderness. So they're back. They are back. Yeah, no, uh, swearing in day, or uh, as some pe- sometimes people like to call it, um, first day of school is kind of a, is an interesting, sort of uniquely congressional uh, experience. It's, it's really great, um, no matter how many years I've been doing it, just to kind of walk around and really see, particularly for the newly elected members who are bringing in their families, their spouses, sometimes their parents, their kids, really, um, you know, the joy of, of, uh, having achieved what they've worked so hard to achieve, and then, and sort of recognizing the uh, um, stature of the job they're about to, to go into, uh, it's just really great. And it's a lot of sort of uh, uh, chaos and excitement, and you just sort of walk around. Um, you know, for those of your listeners who've been to Washington, uh, who might know, there are three congressional office buildings, and then three uh, buildings on the Senate side, um, and you just kind of walk around. It's it's sort of like Trick or treating without the without the candy, although you get a lot of um, donuts and coffee, um, and uh, uh, just walk around to the offices and 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 see your friends and and 
you know, introduce yourself to maybe some some new members and their staff who are just sort of drinking from the fire hose of trying to figure out how to like get this effectively <laughs> what is a small business up and running uh, at full speed on on day one. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people probably don't really understand just how close that analogy is because running for Congress and then being in Congress is like a startup operation. Uh, you've got to build a essentially a multi-million dollar operation with numbers of employees from the ground up. Um, you've got to do that for a campaign. And then as soon as the campaign is over, you've got to basically immediately construct a whole new uh, company to do your legislating and governing. And it's a, they're two very, very different uh, enterprises. The campaign enterprise is um, much more like jazz and the uh, legislating is a lot more like an orchestra. And uh, they're kind of two different things. And um, often the people who have worked on a campaign are not necessarily at all the people that are going to be with you in uh, Washington, D.C., because it, at least I found out, it, it took me about six months to figure it out with a rather tumultuous time that the people you want for your chief of staff and the people you want in your legislative office are people with uh, some D.C. experience and experience legislating and working in Congress. So one of the things that goes on underneath all of this is the movement of staff as different staff people leave some offices and join new offices and are looking for promotions and opportunities. And for a member of Congress, it's it's all it is it is like drinking through a fire hose because there is so much to learn so quickly in terms of how this sausage making works yeah and i think yesterday was sort of unique it was sort of uh, a little bit more subdued than than uh in past instances just cuz you're still dealing with the the shutdown and and sort of trying to think through i think people are trying to figure out how to how to you know how that's going to sort of play out and deal with it but for so I think for the particularly for the f- freshman members, those who just got elected um, in November, it's still you can't you know it's it's really exciting to be you know you've worked hard to become a, a member of Congress and now it's happening and you just see them all um, uh, you know sort of starstruck is the wrong word but they're you know they sort of have this like look of like wow it's really happening it, I, really? I imagine it's similar to. Uh, <laughs> To the tr- the minor leaguer who you know gets the the to come up to the big leagues for the you know walk into that stadium the first time you know you walk into your office you see your you know a sign with your name on the door with the congressman you know and, and back in your case with you know Congressman Paul Hodes and New Hampshire you know and the flag and the I seal have and everything I, I took sort of I took in. that sign with me. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll get to use it again. I'll bring it back. I, look, I really loved my job. It was, um, I loved campaigning. Uh, I loved meeting people. I loved talking about policy and the issues. And um, I loved serving as a member of Congress. And I, I mean, I remember walking into the chamber, the House floor for the first time, was an un believable experience it's hard for words to convey the sense of awe and wonder uh, and honor that i felt 
um, actually being there. I had never run for anything before, and that is actually similar to many of the freshmen who are now entering that floor, that chamber for the first time. Many of them had never run for anything, and they were so motivated and moved to help turn the country around that they decided to run. And when when you're when when you're there, it's really. Um, uh, I, I, I choke up thinking about it. And I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm shameless about it. I choked up watching Nancy Pelosi getting sworn in as speaker for the second time because she was sworn in for the first time when I was elected to the new majority. And that was a historic occasion. And this was a historic occasion. But it really is um, a feeling that you can't quite describe. As you say, it's probably like a pitcher who's called up from the minor leagues and who walks into Fenway for the first time as a starting pitcher? Um, you really, right. you really have that sense of uh, of awe and wonder, and and uh, how did I get here? And what you know, and how does it all how does it all work? Um, but it'll take a little time to settle into routines. But then uh, people will settle into routines, and I'm, I think that the next two years is going to be a very interesting time in the American political landscape. Up here in New Hampshire, we are already uh, getting visits from presidential and would-be presidential candidates. Uh, we have a shutdown, which looks like it's going to continue because uh, apparently the. Um, President of the United States uh, feels that his personal um, his personal qualities are at stake, and he's putting those before the interest of the country. He said, "Gee, just imagine how it would look if uh, if uh, I give in on the shutdown." And the American people just want their government working. I think that yeah, I mean that's certainly the case. I think also uh, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, you know, the Senate had already passed the bill. The Democrats yesterday passed a two 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 separate spending bills, one that sort of separates out the uh, wall funding question to February 8th, so sort of to say, okay, let's have, like, you want to have negotiations uh, or conversations about how our border security should be funded and, and the policies behind it. Let's let's have those conversations, but let's not hold the rest of the government um, that hasn't been funded hostage from it and, and a spending bill for that, which is something actually the Senate had already effectively passed. Um, but uh, uh, Senator Senate Leader McConnell has said that he's not planning on bringing that bill up. So um, it's sort of unclear why. I think perhaps only to shield um, his um, uh, candidates, the Republican candidates who are up in 2020, like Susan Collins and Cory Gardner, um, maybe a few others who might be uh, endangered or uh, risk losing um, to say, you know save them from having to take uh, difficult votes and to potentially one might argue, um, uh, have to override a presidential veto. So I think they're trying to, to you know, a lot of gamemanship uh, yet to, to, to be played. Well, it's kind of interesting because basically there was a compromise that had essentially been worked out until Fox News intervened that would have avoided this whole mess. But of course, uh, the president seems to listen more to Fox News than to anything else. And when they went after him, he changed his mind and has now hardened his position. And once he makes it personal, it's going to be hard for him to turn around and <clears throat> find a way to make this all work in a way that's palatable to him. Meanwhile, 
the effects of the shutdown are starting to be felt. New Hampshire is relatively immune to the effects of the shutdown, but uh, very shortly people are going to be going without paychecks. Um, Newly elected Congressman Chris Pappas from New Hampshire's 1st District has said that he will decline his own paycheck while uh, this shutdown is going on, saying, why should we be paid when uh, the other people in the employ of the federal government are not being paid? We'll see whether or not any other members of Congress follow that lead, and there certainly is no rule requiring members to uh, decide not to take their paychecks. But as this goes on, this could really begin to hurt not just the services, but all the people who depend on federal the federal government for help and services. There was a story the other day about a veteran uh, who uh, needed services desperately and couldn't reach anybody because there was nobody home with the phone to uh, take his calls uh, because of this shutdown. So this shutdown has real consequences for real people in real time. And uh, the gamesmanship that's being played, uh, the political gamesmanship, is, uh, is, is of course, what you expect. But it's, it's not going to help solve the problem of what kind of compromise uh, are people willing to make. It, it seems to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Jason, but from where I sit, Democrats uh, are, are, are pretty firm in their commitment not to fund this wall, which besides the symbolism of it and besides the politics of it is just a dumb idea because a wall is not going to solve Uh, the issues around immigration, only comprehensive immigration reform of both the immigration reform system and the immigration detention system is going to fix what ails us. I think that's right. I mean, I think that there is, um, I think this is a classic example of how um, the political discourse and dialogue has been degraded um, where maybe it's worth, you know, having a, a conversation about immigration policy in terms of how you know how you want your nation's immigration policy to to exist, what shape and form it wants to be in, but but you know it's this sort of singular focus by the president on uh, constructing a wall across the border, which sometimes he seems to walk. You know, the president's like negotiating. Um, I was talking to a senator yesterday who said that they had talked to a senator to uh, Schumer, and the sense was that. You know, talking to, to negotiating with Trump is like negotiating with water. It's just sort of, um, <laughs> you know, there's no stability behind it, right. and there's no um, there there. Well, I mean, it, there's just no consistency, right? So, you know, Jared Jared will come and and say something, and then Trump will either tweet or, in a conversation, will will um, uh, contradict it, right, in terms of what they're asking for or whatever. So, I, I just think that like. It, I, it seems to me that like that he wants the issue more than the win, um, right? Like I think his base, I think his theory is, and this is sort of why I think he's doubled down and held on, which is that there is a core constituency who um, he he needs to feel to placate uh, for a variety of like political reasons. I mean, the, the the irony, of course, right, is that Trump, who sort of ran as this anti politician and sort of this anti candidate and sort of the opposite of many things, is is really has has ultimately become like like many politicians and and is most concerned about getting reelected, and I don't say that as a as a in a pejorative sense. I just more of as an objective. 
statement, right? Like he's just like everybody else, and so you know he's focused on his on his base. And to your point, to, you know, which is which is uh, fed information through through Fox News, and so there's a singular issue, which is uh, I think many people would argue on both sides of the aisle that like is is really a uh, a small and inconsequential. Um, element from like broader policy uh, implications and concerns, but instead it's sort of the shiny object that everyone focuses on. And so uh, I think you're right to be concerned that it doesn't seem like there's a path out right now for the shutdown. And I think a lot of people are are fearful that it'll take some sort of horrific uh, event uh, galvanized, you know, uh, focused on by the media that will sort of galvanize the public to say, all right, enough is enough. I just I don't know that like overturn you know overfilled trash cans and 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 sewage in our national parks is going to be the thing that that does it. Um, and for a lot of people, they're just sort of you know sitting there. Some of them are being asked to get you know to work without pay. Um, you know, for the employees, they generally tend to get compensated, um, you know, after the fact, so to speak. Which you know, for for people who are living paycheck to paycheck or or close to it, that's not necessarily any consolation. Um, there's a lot of contractors for the federal government uh, who often don't get you know their salaries made up and who are asked to, to right. work. Right, right, right. Um, which is another sort of lesser told story of the yep. unfortunate shutdown. We're talking with Jason Rosenstock in Washington, D.C., here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically. For those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment, you can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge-listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, welcome back to... Jason Rosenstock from Washington, D.C. Jason is with Thorn Run Partners, an expert on all things legislative and especially financial. Jason and I have known each other for a while. He's a frequent contributor to Off the Record, and we're very glad to have you back in the new year. So let's talk a little bit about the financial picture. Uh, Here uh, we have seen a real dip in the stock market from historic highs, we've got a lot of volatility. Uh, things are up 500 one day, down 600 another. We've seen uh, the Dow Jones average come more than 2,000 points off its high. We have a nascent trade war with China. We have tariffs being negotiated with various other countries. Um, and uh, we have a lot of volatility in terms of the White House. People uh, are looking for investigations into all kinds of problems there, from Russian collusion uh, to obstruction of justice. Uh, and what does it all mean for the financial picture, and especially uh, the financial institutions that you and I have uh, followed. Uh, I was a member of the Financial Services Committee. Uh, that's now a place where 
you have a lot of business and a lot of a lot of contact. What does the changeover in the House mean for the Financial Services Committee now that the Democrats are in control? And what do you think we're going to see in terms of the regulation of the worlds of finance and insurance? So I think uh, to your first point, you know, the the new chair of the Financial Services Committee is uh, Representative Maxine Waters from California. She's the first African American. Uh, woman to chair uh, that panel, the first woman um, ever to chair the panel. Um, you know, uh, yesterday she was, uh, there was a little uh, uh, event to commemorate her taking the gavel, uh, and, you know, she sort of made a, a bit of a joke saying, you know, everyone is out there saying that she's going to spend all of her time investigating uh, the president and subpoenas and all this other stuff, and she said, that's not true. I'm just going to spend some of, some of my time doing it. Um, and, I, and I think you know she was she was clearly sort of making a, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke, but I, I do think what it means is that there's going to be a lot more attention um, shorn on both the administration, uh, financial services, and uh, you know Treasury, FDIC, OCC, um, and sort of some of the policy, CFPB in particular, uh, some of the policies they've they've implemented um, over the past couple of years, some of the rollbacks of Obama error regulations and sort of some questioning about why perhaps they, they wanted to do that. Um, and, and as well as I think, um, attention on, on companies, um, whose, you know, business practices may be, um, viewed as questionable by, uh, chair waters and, and some of her democratic colleagues. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of this creates, uh, what folks in the industry would call headline risk to companies. I think the, the Republican Senate, um, for the most part, uh, you know, will preclude uh, significant legislation from 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 moving. You might see some um, some work on on issues surrounding data privacy. That's an issue that um, the Republican chairman of the Banking Committee, uh, Chairman Crapo from um, Idaho, um, has talked about wanting to do some 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 work on. Um, I think a lot of uh, American consumers are unaware of how much data they they provide. Companies, both sometimes willingly, uh, voluntarily, or sometimes unwillingly, or involuntarily, um, and that's both in the sort of the technology space and the financial services space, and that's sort of historically been a um, sticking point in trying to get um, uh, regulations in because you have jurisdictional um, splits between the banking and the commerce committees, um, and sometimes the politics of trying to navigate that um, has outweighed um, the interest in moving legislation. I think. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to ask, what, what What do you think we're going to see in terms of uh, Dodd-Frank? Do you think the Democrats are going to take on the rollbacks uh, that Republicans uh, worked on or uh, let it go? I, I mean, I think that there's going to be an effort to try to bolster Dodd-Frank, and I think um, potentially uh, in areas of, that were not part of Dodd-Frank um, of perhaps that might want regulatory fixes such as um, housing, for example, I think is an area where um, uh, Chairman Chair Waters is going to want to try to spend a lot of her time. I think she's, you know, spent a, a many years, um, much of her career in Congress trying to solve questions of housing, both housing opportunity as well as, you know, sort of the quality of, of public housing. Um, and I think those are issues uh, that you could see a lot of uh, uh, effort in. Um, you know, on the Senate side, uh, it's sort of interesting. We could probably 
this might be something you want to talk about as well, but, uh, and you sort of alluded to it with uh, mentioning people coming up to New Hampshire, you know, there's probably going to be 20 Democratic, Democrats running for president, um, a, a Senator Warren from Massachusetts, a member of the Senate Banking Committee, has already announced. Uh, Senator Sherrod Brown from Ohio, also a member of the Banking Committee, um, has all but announced, he sort of hinted, um, that he's planning on running, um, and it has started sort of the the shadow uh, process of of doing the things necessary to to get a presidential campaign um, started. Um, so you know, I think it, there's going to be a lot of um, uh, politicking and uh, using the 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 hearings on the Senate side as as forms for for those who are running for president, which is often the case, both Republicans and Democrats. Senators have, you know, historically all all tried to run for, uh, for president. Um, so I think that'll sort of again complicate the po- possibilities of of, of movement. Um, you know, you mentioned the market. It seems I think if you look the the real um, flashpoint for the the volatility and the decreases in the market that we saw sort of in the last two months to three months of the of the year really pegged from um, a tweet that the president sent when. Uh, tweeted um, when he said he was a tariff man. I think there's a real fear of uh, of a real trade war and its impact on the economies. I think that was driving um, a lot of the the downturn and the volatility um, going into the end of the year. Um, and you know, I think you know, you saw today. I think that the jobs numbers were really good, and the, the I haven't looked recently, but the market seemed to have popped up. Um, but I think people should, you know, I caution people like the stock market is. Not should not be really seen as an indicator of the overall health of the economy, and there's a lot of other numbers. I know that it holds great sway on the public perception of how the economy's going, but um, a very small percentage of people actually are, pers- even through retirement funds, are really invested in the market. And um, there's probably a lot of other indicators that people should want to look to, uh, to to think about their overall financial health. But hopefully, uh, you know, the volatility will just become a thing that either becomes a thing of the past or people just sort of grow accustomed to. We've had periods of, of long and, and, and uh, strident volatility in the past, and, and um, you know, it really depends on your horizon for investing, um, it, how much it impacts you. In uh, the last few minutes, Jason, uh, one of the issues that is really a pretty overwhelming uh, issue, for at least I think it, it is, and ought to be, but I don't hear much said about it, uh, is the deficit. Um, we have uh, deepened our deficit by something like a trillion dollars, um, largely due to the recent tax cuts that the Republicans pushed through. The deficits uh, were already bad. The national debt was already terrible. Um, and uh, now we're, you know, something like 23, headed to $24 trillion in national debt, looking at uh, deficits uh, as far as the eye can see. And uh, to me, the deficit deficits uh, should be an issue, which people in Congress take seriously, but I don't hear anything about it. I don't hear a word about it from any Democrats. I certainly don't hear about it uh, from Republicans who, in my experience, have famously uh, trashed the deficit, and then they come into office and uh, trash Democrats for causing what, they, what they've what they done. So putting even the politics aside, why don't we hear anything about it? We hear a little bit about it. There was a, a bit of a 
small to do with the the rules package that the Dems passed the other day for the House, um, how they're going to do the rules, which included a provision on PAYGO, which is a, a, a decision to, uh, or a, a policy to try to limit uh, expansion of the deficit. It doesn't do a lot to cut the deficit, right? It requires any new spending, uh, any new programs that have new spending to have either appropriate cuts or tax revenues. So you effectively are paying for whatever programs you want. To that do. seems to be now um, a democratic, a democratic uh, way to ensure some fiscal responsibility, at least to put a finger in the, in the breach of the dike. Yeah, it's an effort, right? I mean, the conservative, like the, um, the, the blue dogs who, who tend to be more um, focused on, on those issues, the deficit and spending, um, that was a big po- point for them. Interestingly, um, well, well, two points. One, interestingly, the progressives, um, uh, Ro Khanna out of California and um, the new representative from New York uh, who beat Mr. Crowley, both were c- criticizing uh, Pago, and I think both voted against that portion yeah. of the rules package because of it, uh, which I thought was, was sort of interesting. But, you know, the, the problem with Pago is, is that ultimately Congress can always waive it, so it's sort of a, uh, a, a nice thing. I, I think you're right. It, you know, as interest rates continue to um, rise, who knows what the Fed's going to do there with all the pressure that uh, Chair Powell's been receiving from the White House. But uh, assuming they continue to raise interest rates, the, the cost of servicing the nation's debt will also increase and maybe will be an issue that we'll hear more about going into the 2020 um, election. Jason, we're going to leave it there. We've been talking with Jason Rosenstock of Thorn Run Partners in Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment to wrap up Off the Record with Paul Hodes.